Salutations. Welcome to Spiritual Blitherings, Philosophical Ponderings, and Everything Ramblings at the Hopeful Humanist Cafe. This is a Just Some Guy production, and I'm that guy, your host, Steve, the Hopeful Humanist. I like the background sounds of life whenever possible to give a little bit of flavor to the episode. I'm not sure if you can hear it, but it's raining right now. We were going to go for a walk and talk, but I think I'm going to make my way through the fence and to my back shed. I think I'm going to just spend my time in the doorway of the back shed so I don't get wet. So here we go. I got uh, a number of different threads that I want to try to weave together for this episode. Fence is stuck a little bit here. And so I'm going to share some of the thread ideas and see how well I do at weaving them together. Okay. Yeah, this is nice. This is a nice place to stand for some mindfulness. So I have a quote that I'm going to share from the book, The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching by Thich Nhat Hanh. I also have as another thread idea to weave into the conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm going to want to make mention of Maslow's epigenetic model called the hierarchy of needs, but specifically the love and belonging need. I'm going to want to explain what Asculus Hippocastinum might be referring to. It sounds like I'm casting a spell. Waving my metaphorical wand. Asculus Hippocastinum. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful. Just taking it all in. Um, perhaps I might get a chance to talk about the American chestnut tree and, and its historic plight. And uh, I have a question, too, that I, I want to ask. And then I guess uh, I'm going to have uh, a little bit of a how-to section. Yeah, so there's a bunch of the different things I'm hoping to tackle. So let's go to our reading for the morning. This beautiful fall, this beautiful autumn morning. It's from chapter 24 entitled The Five Powers. It's kind of creating a uh, visceral, nostalgic feel for the moment. Maybe it's going to take you back to those happy childhood times in your life. As, a as children growing up in central Vietnam, my brothers, sisters, and I used to run out to the yard every time it rained. Interesting, it's raining now. It was our way of taking a shower. We were so happy. Sometimes later our mother would call us and serve us a bowl of rice with pickled bean sprouts or salty fish. We'd take our bowls and sit in the doorway eating and continuing to watch the falling rain. We were free of all worries and anxieties, not thinking about the past, the future, or anything at all. Not even COVID-19. I threw that in. We just enjoyed ourselves, our food, 
and each other. On New Year's Day, Mother served us special cakes, and we went outside and ate the cakes while playing with the cat and the dog. Sometimes our New Year's clothes were so starchy that they squeaked as we walked. We thought we were in paradise. Growing up, we began to worry about homework, the right clothes, a good job, and supporting our family, not to mention war, social injustice, and so many other difficulties. We thought our paradise was lost, but it was not. We only had to remember how to water the seeds of paradise in ourselves, and we were able to produce true happiness again. Even today, you and I can remember even today, you and I can return to our own paradise every time we breathe in and out mindfully. Our true home was not only in the past, it is in the present now. Mindfulness is the energy we produce in our daily lives to bring our paradise back. So this takes me back to a time in my life where Asculus Hippocastinum was a playful part of my daily comings and goings on the schoolyard when I was a student at uh, a place called Monsignor Holler many moons ago. So there's this, uh, this invitation to realize that we can remember things and somehow if we're creative, perhaps we can bring them into our present. It just it, it, it got me wondering, and it kind of got uh, caught up in a other thought that I had quite recently. I was having a discussion with some young people about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's uh, referred to as an epigenetic model. So you need to complete and satisfy one need level, one need stage before you can get to the next. And uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, if we critically reflect that perhaps uh, this could be somewhat of a, a barrier to understanding the lived experience as it unfolds for many of us. But it's it's a, a good foundational start to explore know these things that we call needs and how we can satisfy them so the first level of needs would be your physiological you know your need for sleep tal ben shahar says you know for happiness we need to get eight consecutive hours of sleep in a 24-hour period we need to have food nutritious food the next level would be the safety needs like safety from harm and uh, safety in terms of shelter, a place to sleep, uh, a secure supply of daily food. Then we move up to the love and belonging needs where you want to be a part of a group, feel connected, and then the esteem needs where we often talk about actualizing an ability, putting in the time, effort, perseverance, and mastering something, and that because of the effort, we we feel good about ourselves, and we have the sense that we can navigate the world and experience this thing called good mental health. And then the highest level of actualization, where we 
pursue things related to justice and uh, we have this uh, creative impulse that manifests itself and actualizes itself and we experience these things called flow and every now and then we lose ourselves to the moment and uh, have these possible experiences that Maslow would call peak experiences. So I was thinking about the reading from uh, the book, The Heart of the Buddhist Teachings, and I, w- I was thinking about the hierarchy of needs. And when I was having this discussion with uh, some young people, there are different activities that we um, explored and we uh, took part in to kind of flesh out the meaning of each stage level of the hierarchy of needs. And when we came to love and belonging, the idea is, you know, what are the things that we can do? What kind of activities that are the activities that we can engage in or the routines that we can create that will allow us to feel connected, um, a sense of belonging, uh, love? And it struck me when when I was thinking about my childhood after reading um, that uh, introductory uh, thought from Thich Nhat Hanh, that when I was younger, I played chestnuts. And wouldn't it be interesting if I could teach my kids how to have a a chestnut fight? Um, This is something I did as a little boy on uh, the schoolyard uh, during recess. Asculus hippocastinum is the name of a horse chestnut. A horse chestnut is this little brown glistening nut that you can find encased in a green prickly husk that hangs from the branches of a horse chestnut tree. These trees can be up to 30 meters tall and they have pulminated leaves. Uh, These are compound leaves with little oblong leaflets that come off the main stem. It's as if it resembles uh, fingers coming from the center piece of the palm. And in May, uh, there is this beautiful white candle-like flower that uh, blossoms for two weeks. And uh, in inside of the white flowers is a little dot of yellow. It's just beautiful with a little bit of a fragrance. But um, if you're like myself, uh, the, the greater memory connected with the chestnut tree would be that in late September or early October and uh, a little uh, after that, a couple weeks following, uh, as, as a little boy, I would get on my bike with friends and we'd go through the neighborhood and we'd try to locate a, a chestnut tree, a horse chestnut tree. And they would, um, when they were ripe, they would fall to the ground. The green prickly husk would be um, changed in color to something that was a little more yellowy brown and you could just that the uh, the husk would have split by this time. You could just peel it open and harvest all these beautiful brown glistening chestnuts, and we put them in our pockets, and and uh, we would get ready to have this thing called a chestnut fight. And as I was remembering this, I just thought, like, this is something I'd like to maybe teach my boys to bring back uh, this this tradition because it, it has been lost, at least locally, anyhow. I know it, the the version of uh, the chestnut fight that I'm talking about is a variation, I'm, I'm assuming, of a game that they play across the pond in England called Conkers. 
and I'll, I'll explain how to how to have a chestnut fight. Uh, you know the rules shortly. But uh, when when we grabbed and, and collected all these horse chestnuts and we prepared them and got ready to have a chestnut fight, there was a there was a whole culture around it. It was it was quite exciting. And so we would collect all these chestnuts and we would collect an overabundance of them because you couldn't have a chestnut fight by yourself. You you, you need it's it, it's like a community social experience. And so you would, uh, as part of the, the tradition or the culture, um, you would go to school with your excess number of chestnuts, and we'd have like this chestnut toss or this chestnut rally where someone would be throwing the chestnuts and they would be falling all over and kids would be scattering to and fro to collect them. And once they were collected, we would uh, everyone would go home to their own HQ and get a... I'm sure there are different ways to do it, but the, the goal was, first of all, to put a hole in the center of the chestnut as we prepare this wonderful, beautiful little nut for uh, the game that we would play on the schoolyard. And so for me, I would get a hammer and a nail, and I would hammer the nail through the center of the chestnut. And then I would get, uh, just to widen the hole, I would uh, use a um, screwdriver to kind of make sure that I had a nice enlarged hole uh, because the next thing that you, you would have to do is you would get a uh, a strong shoelace or a skate lace and then you would thread the lace through you would needle it through the hole of the that you just made in the um, horse chestnut you tie one end to secure the chestnut onto the string and then the other end was free for you to uh, wrap around your hand and clasp um, as uh, we were getting prepared for the uh, the chestnut battle. So once you had your chestnut prepared, you put a hole and you, and you threaded it on the skate lace, uh, we would usually let it sit and uh, harden for about a week. But some people got experimental. Uh, they wanted to get a little scientific, a.k.a. it's a cheat, and sometimes people would put their chestnuts in the uh, freezer Sometimes people would bake their chestnuts. Sometimes people would put their chestnuts in vinegar, let them sit. The goal to, is obviously for them to harden. Um, others would put nail polish. And after preparing your chestnut and letting it sit, then uh, we would uh, make our way to school. And this this was traditionally a game that I played at school. I don't really remember it playing at, at home or in, uh, you know, my backyard or the backyards of friends and uh, so it's it's interesting um that it, it seemed to be localized in that sense and the other thing i should say is that uh, while i want to um reawaken this tradition and share it with my boys when i was younger it was um older children teaching the younger children on the schoolyard how to play the game that was that was part of the culture that's the way the game was um transmitted passed on um, from, I guess you could say, one uh, uh, group uh, or cohort of kids uh, from one year to the next as the new children came to school. And when uh, we finally made our way to school, uh, you would uh, make a pit in the ground. You'd dig a little pit out of uh, a grassy area or a sandy area, a dirt area, and then two people would uh, gather around that pit one person would then put their chestnut in the center of the pit and then move 
slightly away from the pit to have like a buffer to protect oneself because soon there would be a swinging chestnut. And as they left their chestnut there and they had uh, their, they were holding the, the free end of their um, shoelace or skate lace loosely, the other person, and, and I'm right-handed, so I would be gripping um, the loose end of my threaded chestnut shoe, uh, shoe or skate string in my right hand. I'd wrap the loose end around my right hand a number of times um, to get a, a good tight grip. And the other end, uh, which had the chestnut that was fastened uh, to the string because of the knot, I would uh, clasp between my index finger and my pointing finger, and, and I would hold it firmly. I would then slowly raise my um, arms in unison, and then when I uh, move forward with a, uh, a momentum, a catapulting momentum, I would release the chestnut from my index finger that it was clasped with and the pointing finger, and it would hurl through the air in a arching catapult fashion, and I would smash it down on my opponent's chestnut. And the goal was, the goal was to hit the other person's chestnut and hopefully crack or break the other person's chestnut because if you broke their chestnut and it came off the shoestring, then you were victorious. Now, often it took a number of strikes before you'd actually be successful and victorious. But if you were able to actually make contact with your chestnut and the other person's chestnut, because it does take eye-hand coordination, and a game does take a little bit of patience before um, one chestnut actually breaks. So if you did make contact, then you would be able to have an, a, an additional swing and an additional swing until you missed, at which point it was the other person's uh, turn. You would put your chestnut in the pit. You would uh, step back a little bit, and then the other person would have a chance to um, try to hit and break your chestnut. When you were playing a game, every now and then, uh, the uh, the strings... Uh, would get tangled, and whoever called tangles first would get an additional number of strikes, so anywhere from 3, 5 to 10. I'm sure the, the rules are different. And uh, when, when someone was finally victorious and you broke the other person's chestnut, you were able to declare that your chestnut was, in fact, one year old. And it was cumulative. If you won another victory, it was two years old. And if another victory, three years old. And then there was a situation when you could be coming up against uh, a new chestnut that someone's bringing to the, the um, chestnut pit. And yours, worn and uh, beaten over time, might be coming to uh, its end. And if the other chestnut did, in fact, um, break a chestnut of, of a significant age, the person who was victorious would be able to claim and absorb all those victories. And so if my chestnut had been seven years old and a person bringing a brand new chestnut to the chestnut pit, uh, one uh, beat my chestnut, theirs would be able to, they would be able to declare that theirs was eight years old. It was fun. There was a real excitement about it. Now, as I was thinking about the the reading from Thichnot Han about just being able to bring what's wonderful in our um, childhood nostalgic, uh, youthful 
past experiences into the present. I thought, well, you know, um, in terms of the love and belonging need, in terms of creating positive family ritual, not only, you know, is it important to sit around the family and eat together, which is a protective factor, why don't I teach my boys how to have a chestnut fight? And so we we were able to um, find a, a, a wonderful harvest. We were able to um, get some additional ones and, and, and share them with friends. And we've had this occasion uh, to come together. And I, I, I've passed on um, this this tradition that I had as as a child. And it's uh, something that I just, I, I think is a way of really bringing to life a way to create some love and belonging by by bringing one's uh, past joyous experiences into the present. Now, for me, it was the chestnut fight. And and it could be anything. Um, And and so I'm wondering uh, what it might be for you. What what is something that that you could do that would... uh, bring this in, into the present. Now, the question that I have that I was, I was getting to, um, knowing that these are COVID-19 times, knowing that at schools, kids can't play soccer and they can't throw the football, they can't play tag. I'm, I'm, my son, uh, Woodrow and Blazing Phoenix, were mentioning that to, in an attempt to be creative, I guess, trying to uh, satisfy that self-actualization need, they, they, if they find a uh, plastic water bottle that I guess has been sitting around as litter, they will uh, attempt to use that as a substitute uh, for a soccer ball and play soccer. So I was wondering, perhaps maybe it's time to revive the chestnut fight, um, at least locally, because I, I believe it's been lost. I think in uh, England, uh, Conkers is alive and well. And Conkers is a game that uh, is more or less uh, uh, a chestnut fight, but it's uh, done in the air. Instead of putting in a pit, you're just holding um, your chestnut from a string suspended. Uh, there are a number of videos that you can uh, check out online, and I'll I'll uh, leave them connected uh, in the uh, the le- I'll, I'll provide the links in the show notes. So my question was. Uh, Perhaps we could uh, revive the the chestnut fight on uh, schoolyards. Now, I'm thinking that there's probably going to be a reaction against such a thought. And it's just a thought, and that's all, because I'm, I'm wondering what it must be like to be a child that goes to school with not much to do when it's uh, recess time and how um, social distancing and wearing masks are a real big part of the uh, reality for young uh, kids uh, as they go back to school. So I don't know, like, what do you think? Um, Obviously, if uh, perhaps we're wearing a mask and if there is an attempt to do some social distancing, is this something that we could revive? This is, is this something we could bring back? Or does it seem to be something that just, um, as time has come and gone? I remember when I was a child, uh, it was something that was uh, played without um, teacher supervision. Um, I guess it's possible that uh, someone could have got injured by a chestnut, and, and perhaps that's one reason why we might want to say no to uh, chestnut fights on the playground. But um, for me, all I remember is every now and then a, a, a bruised um, knuckle because a person's uh, 
hand was a little bit too close to the pit. And soon enough, uh, we learned to make sure that uh, we keep our hand um, further from the pit. But yeah, so that that's the question I pose. Uh, the threads uh, were the reading for the day, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, things that we can do to create uh, connectedness in our families. And I thought, hey, recently I'm going to revive the uh, chestnut tradition with my boys and we've had some fun and we look forward to a cheat tournament with uh, friends um, in the upcoming number of weeks. Uh, there is one video that I found on the internet that actually does a pretty good job at demonstrating what a chestnut fight is. The rest of all the videos are all about conquerors, so I'm going to attach that link. I've also attached um, some information about chestnuts uh, and the chestnut tree that I think is pretty interesting. And I guess I'd just like to end by noting that uh, during my uh, research on chestnuts and uh, you know going out and harvesting chestnuts and just reliving that, uh, reanimating that, that experience in the here and now from my past, um, I, I was uh, interested in and I felt a need to figure out what's the difference between a horse chestnut and a uh, edible chestnut because the horse chestnut is poisonous. You can't eat it. But a American chestnut is a sweet chestnut that you can eat. I was wondering what the difference was between a horse chestnut and a American chestnut. And so there was a, a thing that uh, happened during the early 20th century that is uh, quite sad, um, I believe, from my perspective. But uh, it was a plight, a blight on the American chestnut. Uh, so in the in early 1900s and, you know, around 1900, there were chestnut trees, uh, American chestnut trees, all across the east coast of the U.S., and in terms of the forests uh, and, and the different variety of trees you might find in a forest, um, in, in different uh, areas you, can, you would have noticed that the American chestnut tree was anywhere from 10 to 25 to 40% of uh, the kind of trees that you would find in these mixed forests. It was referred to as the eastern sequoia uh, on, on, of the east coast, and it was a tree that would be uh, five meters wide at its base and 30 meters tall. And it was just apparently majestic and wonderful. And uh, during the early 1900s, when it seemed to be in fashion and vogue to uh, import trees and plants from different places around the world for um, gardens, nurseries, and parks, that uh, the Chinese chestnut tree was imported and it had uh, a fungus that it was resistant to but it was brought with it and the fungus went on to infect the American chestnut tree. And because of that, from around 1900 to 1940, the American chestnut tree was devastated. Over 4 billion trees were lost. They're at a point where they're trying to create a genetically modified variation of the original American chestnut tree. And apparently they have been successful, but now it's a matter of deciding whether or not to reintroduce it into um, an, an environment that has changed and adapted to the absence of the American chestnut tree for um, the last century now. So it's just a fascinating story. I'm going to include a link for that as well. And leave you with that question, you know, what is, uh, with two questions, what are um, uh, 
your thoughts about reintroducing the uh, North American version of Conkers having a chestnut fight on the playgrounds at schools? Uh, is it an irresponsible thing? Um, is it a dangerous thing? Or could it be fun? And also, uh, in terms of remembering back when we were younger in a world you know, that wasn't so technologically um, internet-oriented, uh, and, and the different games that we might have played, uh, Kick the Can, uh, A Red Rover. Is there a game that you remember that in terms of fostering love and belonging in your family that you might be able to reintroduce and uh, bring back to life? So I hope you enjoyed listening to the how-to of having a chestnut fight. I hope that you check out the links some really interesting, fascinating things to ponder and check out. Um, So peace, take care, be well, and share.